Now, the preamble for today's message is this. There will be some theological uh, well, anyway, all preaching have some theology behind that, but some uncomfortable theology which we traditionally may hold. And I want you to think about it. In fact, I ask two, re- two persons to be referring what I'm going to say and maybe feedback to me and say, hey, maybe that's, that's, that, 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 needs, uh, that may not be really uh, what I believe. And saying that, saying that too, uh, then you go back to the elders and then I haven't got any more preaching which is uh, for the rest of the year and maybe I can be sanctioned too and say, all right, no, <laughs> we are not prepared to go along your line. <laughs> but I believe that uh, this is studying the Lord has laid on my heart on this passage, in this passage. And this is one slide I have. I have this slide is only... 11 slides, and I have another prepared 20 slides. Which one you want to have for today? <laughs> because it is actually something which is a bit uh, need clear explanation. And I hope to speak a bit slower so that you can be clearer. All right. Now let's go back to the sermon. Now this, a hole in the ground in Misen, Belgium. What do you think caused that hole? A meteorite strike down? That's what we think. Now you can see a lot of people around it. And there's even the cross, if you actually go to see this picture, the cross there. It is not a natural occurring hole in the ground. In World War One, World War One. This is what happened. The British dug a tunnel under the enemies and they dig it under where the enemy was encamped. And they stuff in, stuff in, stuff in a lot of explosives. Stuff it there. It's a horror story, right? And when they lit the fuse, the whole ground shape blown up and 10,000 German estimated were killed in one instant. 10,000 killed. And they used this in a few places too. Digging underground, stuffing with explosive and lit it. And it blew out the people on top. Died. Why am I telling this story? Now, the amount of explosive they stick in there underground and they stick it there underground have potential. But it is just as good as mud if you do not light, if you do not put a light to the fuse to set it and blow it up. In fact, people are wondering whether there's still some more of this explosive under the ground of France and Belgium. And one day you may see some farmers digging up and may not be a very pleasant day for him. 
But my point is this. All the explosive could be just mud if there's no light licking it and blowing it apart. This is just an analogy. Today, as we read Acts chapter 1, we read about the transitions of the gospel, Jesus' story, to the time he, when he gave up and then the starting, the, the, the starting scenes of the Holy Spirit coming to work. That transition. In the first part of Acts chapter 1, from verse 1 to verse 5, 4, you see about talking about Jesus. In the day I wrote to you about the work of what he did and what he teach. Luke is the writer. And Luke is also the writer of the gospel according to Luke, where he actually expounds what Jesus did, the gospel, what Jesus did. And over here, Luke was taking a change now to focus on now the transition, the work of the Holy Spirit. And then you see how the work of the Holy Spirit, as we read and study it for the next weeks or so, you'll find how it actually blew up the gospel, blew up the gospel to the blew out the gospel to the nation. So the ministry of Jesus in the gospel is the explosive, so to speak. The explosive with latent power, potential power to blow out. And this was lit by the fire of the Holy Spirit. And this ignited in acts. Are you with me so far? Jesus' life in the gospel is like the explosive put underground. Latent. And it's the Holy Spirit which put fire to it and it blew out. Now, let's recap of what when Jesus, uh, uh, in briefly, uh, Luke wrote, I dwelt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, he had given commandment through the Holy Spirit to the God, to the apostle whom he chosen. Let us actually just look at the ministry of Jesus first. He led a good, a moralistic life. If in terms of our biblical language, he led a sinless life. A sinless life. Jesus led a sinless life. How good can he get? Second, as for the community, Jesus was generous in his healing. He went around healing the sick and feeding the hungry crowd. 5,000 at a time. He fed the hungry crowd. So Jesus was leading a sinless life and he was leading a generous life. Feeding and healing. He showed himself having authority over sickness when he healed the blind, make the lame to walk again. He have authority over sickness. 
He has authority over nature. He calmed the storm. He calmed the storm. That even the disciple was astonished. Who is this which can calm the storm? He calmed the storm. He cast out the evil spirit. He has authority over the all authority, even the evil spirit. He just cast them out. He cast them out. And he has even authority over death. He actually make the dead alive again. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. And what he taught, what Jesus taught, in the parable, in the Sermon on the Mount, it is still a relevant, relevant, it's still not only relevant, it's still the highest standard you can have as regard to humanity, how to deal with each other. He said, love your enemies. What other extreme can you get? He actually raised the standard. And even now, a lot of our, our law which makes sense is actually come from the teaching of Jesus. The teaching of Jesus. And then, we see his sacrificial death, which Ralph have reminded us. The death on the cross and his resurrection from the death alone should be enough to inspire us beyond our materialistic life to actually aim for eternity. We are now, should be, no longer be scared to meet death. In fact, we should long to meet death. So, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. You found that in the Gospel, in Luke's Gospel. And Luke had wrote to them. And this is the summary. Now, he is perhaps the greatest influencer of all time. But did not count his mission to start a movement. Let me explain this. Now, if you were to apply for a job, one of the biggest, now I understand, one of the biggest uh, things you can put in your resume is, I am a great influencer. I have one million followers in my Facebook and two million in my podcast, right? <laughs> you have that in your Facebook, uh, in your book, you will be hired. You know, you can go around eating food in all nations and say, hey, this food is good, this food is not good. And you have two million people following you. You have, you are an influencer. You are beginning a movement. You are a, a person with authority over the crowd. But Jesus, and you see all that which he has done, is, should be, have to be the greatest influencer the greatest influencer of all time. Even you take just one of that, one of that, he can heal the sick just like that. Oh, another one, he lived a sinless life. That enough should be able to start a movement and people should be crowding around him and say, yes, we'll follow you, we'll follow you. But, you see, at the end of 
just before he left, just before he left, he had just around a hundred people. I'm still not as convinced yet, still not as prepared to do the mission yet. It is like, what? They don't even see the complete story. They keep even asking him, hey, will you do the kingdom of heaven? It was as though an unfinished business. I'm not doing a takedown of Jesus, of what he actually did. I'm not doing a takedown. But we want to see how the Bible presents the whole fact. If my facts are wrong, please point out to me. The group he had when he prayed for his disciples in John chapter 17, verse 6 to 26, he was praying to the Father. He said, this group which I have, a small group, I have been faithful to just keep them and protect them. This group, not the big, the small group he has, except for one person, Judas. That's what he prayed. So Jesus was conscious that he was, have to be faithful to what God have, the Father had handed over to him. And this is the group. Not a big group, maybe a hundred odd, not the thousands or the five thousand or the six thousand which he fed, moving around with him in the crowd. No. This group, just this group. Because at his crucifixion, at part of his crucifixion, there was none. Everybody fled. Except for some, la- some ladies. Special note to the ladies having the chupas to stay back at the cross. But in the sense that he was faithful, but he was not like a, a mover of people, moving a movement, and there will be a crowd following him till he go up to heaven. No, he did not. He was quite conscious of his mission. You know, in, during the time when he was doing his ministry and he was actually healing the sick, he told us those, hey, please, I heal you, shut up. Don't go and tell I don't need the publicity. I don't need the publicity. Get here, get done with it. He could have done that, didn't it? He could have done that. I know there's a lot of uh, people who, who like to prescribe uh, their own, uh, uh, you know, you've got diabetic, they say, oh, you eat, uh, you eat tomatoes and then you heal of diabetic and then you get spread the news everywhere. Around. Maybe it healed to him, but you know, it doesn't work to everybody. But here, Jesus healed. And he told the fellows, no, shut up. Don't go and spread the news. It's enough. Why was he doing that? He don't need popularity. He don't want popularity. Because that is not his mission. That was not his mission. He had considered his mission finished, even though it was a small group of followers who was even when he raised up from the as we read in, in Acts chapter 1, when he was raised up, they were still inadequate. They were still inadequate. But he was having faith, well, I know you're inadequate now, but wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come in. And that was what he said in Acts chapter 1. Wait. They were not ready at that present time. Even after seeing him crucified, even seeing him raised from the dead, even seeing all the miracles, they were not ready. He said, wait. Wait. 
for the Holy Spirit. He was aware. He was really aware of the next phase. And that is the phase where the Holy Spirit plays the role of igniting whatever he has left to blow it up and to transform the world. To transform the world. Transform their life first. You see the transformation of the life of Peter to such boldness and clarity in sharing the gospel. Just a fisherman transformed. So he was saying, wait, wait, wait for the Holy Spirit. So he is actually in sync. The Holy Spirit work is in sync. God, Jesus knows very well where his mission and his ministry will accomplish. He knows very well. He knows that the next step will have to be God, the Holy Spirit, coming in to play that part, to play that part. I have to read to you John chapter 16. He taught them with much clarity. John chapter 16 from verse 4. Second part of verse 4. I did not say this thing. Now, before that, he was saying of the troubles which they're going to face as believers. So Jesus said, I did not say this thing to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask, where are you going? But because I have said this thing to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. When the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He say, He will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the, that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And when Jesus said that during the incident, when the, Holy, the, the, the disciple was listening to him, they couldn't get it. They couldn't get it. It's only they got it when the Holy Spirit came into their life. And when they wrote about it, ah, they saw what Jesus meant. What Jesus meant. So the Holy Spirit is crucial. So, and he said, Jesus already thought about it. And therefore, again in Acts, chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus said, and while they were staying, uh, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you, heard, you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit 
not many days from now. So, this is really in sync with what Jesus taught. Jesus taught. This is in sync with what Jesus taught. So, as I say, the ministry of Jesus is the God in the gospel is the explosive. Is the explosive. His life. Now we take his teaching and his life, and we can actually create an explosion irrelevant to people's life. Only and only if the Holy Spirit would take that conviction into their life. Only and only if there is the urgent, the agency, the agency of the Holy Spirit bringing the message of Jesus into our life. If not, we might as well be a lecturer in the university and teaching the Bible to non-believers and taking this as just a sophisticated, beautiful literature. Falling on deaf ears and just taking it as entertainment. Or something to just muddle our brain with. Muddle our brain with. We need the Holy Spirit working within us, even as we study the Word of God. Even as we study the Word of God. So we need that ignition. ignition. So how then can we live? Now when I was preparing this message, I was thinking of all the rabbit hole which I can run into and apply and all that kind of thing. What will it be like for us as individuals first? And as a church, if we believe the Holy Spirit mission and ministry now. I'm probably a very slow learner. And this come to me in this study, and I appreciate that given this opportunity to speak, sort of raise a little bit of new things, fresh, maybe new thing to me, but it is continuing this conviction of mine that you have to have a personal relationship with God. The authenticity of your belief is based on do you know God as a personal being and not just something you read in the Bible. This is my conviction and this is brought to you. And I can see how I have to respond to the Holy Spirit in this journey of mine. And to know that He is the agency. So how does it look for me? And I have to reflect on the things which I do. Now I have to renew and... Now I don't want to put the term so strongly that renew, renewal of belief versus unbelief. Now I think I don't want to put on the ground whereby hey, you know, if you don't hold this, it's unbelief. But let me explain to you. When you read the Bible, you like to go first to the text. What is written there? And if you like to be even a bit high level, to go to the original text, the Greek text or the Hebrew text in the original language. Okay, you like to text. Because there are subtlety there which actually give us a lot of 
understanding, depth in understanding. That's subtlety. Alright? I appreciate some of them. But I'm not going to say some Greek words so to impress you or Hebrew words. But first you go to the text. Then you read it and you actually want to put it into the context. The context of that phrase written in when, in what situation the people are facing and to understand it in the context. The text of context so you can really appreciate what the meaning is and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. But one of the things we bring into the picture when we try to understand the Bible is our culture. We bring our cultural context and we try to understand the Bible through how we are taught, how we frame our thinking, how our culture affects us. Saying that, we assume that we are in a Western culture of I'm taught from the Western kind of institution of learning, brought up, brought up that way. So I can identify that these are the things we go through. In the period of enlightenment, you know we go through the time, there is a time called period of enlightenment. Voltaire was one of the writers, strong writer. And that is one of the strong propositions that everything has to be tested have to be, what do you call, uh, reduced, reductionism, reduced, tested, and if we can explain that, only what we can explain, we will accept. Again, things have to be broken down, reduced, tested, applied at understanding. I apply to, if I understand it, I can put it in the bracket of my understanding, only then will I accept it. If that, all other things throw away. Fable. We don't understand that. We don't want to accept that. And therefore, even belief. Strong thing. Then they use that to go against what we call the traditional belief. We can't prove God in that sense. They say, then there's no God. So that is the line of thinking we're talking about. But we actually adopt that it has its uses in science. Reduce things, try to understand it. But it is actually uh, presumptuous to say that when we reduce everything to small, small things, we can understand everything. Because the process of science too, we say we understand nothing. We don't ensure that it's an atom there, or a wave there, or particle, and we start to understand nothing. But that's another rabbit hole. Let's not go through that. But then we actually, in the Bible study, we try to also reduce. To understand. God can work only if we understand. And there's a period whereby we say, oh, if these miracles does not happen as readily now, therefore we say that it's for that time. Okay, now I'm going to real, real... That is what they call the cessationalist doctrine. That we could not, at the extreme end of cessationalist is that we could not, we have the Bible already, it's enough. 
We have the Bible, we can read, we can understand, we can deduce, we can deduct from it. That's enough. Enough to take the gospel out to the world. We can explain the world, we can have apologetics, which makes sense, which cannot be refuted. And these are all our weapons, mental weapons, something we can handle, something we can control, something we can debate, and that will be enough. And we don't need miracles. We don't need the God handling people in their life in a miraculous way to show His presence. We do not need miracles. So we don't need. We let God have a rest. Let God take sabbatical. We don't need God in our evangelism. As long as we can behave properly as like Jesus, to be the best neighbor, as long as we have a message which has credibility, we can actually explain and can actually refute and can say that this is good and this is bad. The Bible says so and it's really so. As long as we can have some generosity, some, some, some thing we can move to society, throw our resources and live sacrificially for the good of society, won't society be impressed? We don't need the Holy Spirit. But none of this, which I say, leading a good life, teaching well, or being generous during Jesus' time, when Jesus did that, it did not create a movement. It did not create. It's not his failure. Because the movement which finally we have need as a church, need the Holy Spirit living in our church, being empowered in our church, living in your life and my life, being empowered in their life. Only then, I believe that the true church and true revival will start. Now, I don't want to go on to the gift of spirit, whether the conflation of whether certain gift is given and whether they cease. No! When we actually reach out, reach out. Do we actually are aware of the Holy Spirit working in that ministry or whatever we have? Are we working with the Holy Spirit? That is what I plead to you. When we teach Sunday school, Are we telling them story of 2,000 years ago, a guy named Jesus walking and he showed real example? Or when you pray and, and when you teach Sunday school and you, you say, hey, shall we pray for something in your life? And they say, oh, you know, mommy is sick. Oh, let's pray for mommy is sick. And let's see next week how, mommy, how God is working in mommy's life. To have that, to, 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 to bring the invisible God to reality of the life through the Holy Spirit, so that the child can see that, hey, God is working. God is there. How do you think take risk to pray for the sick? That's what the thing. 
which I have. Now, I want to, there's a few there, but I want to just deal on some cultivate inter, uh, inner contemplation. I always share that, you know, uh, as you read the Bible, always contemplate, sing in, see your situation, and try to actually find how God is speaking to you through the situation and through His Word. Now, let me tell you, uh, now, the, the account which uh, one OMF missionary, he came back from China, the one we are, uh, uh, what he called, associated with. He came to Malaysia and he, he, he preached. Now, during this time, during COVID time, there was so much uncertainty in China as, as regard to, you do not know that you can go to the supermarket tomorrow and whether that food in your, you can get enough food to your, your fridge. And if they have small fridge, you know, you really have to have struggled with that. So one day, at four o'clock in the morning, he felt God, he felt the voice of God saying, go to the bazaar. Four o'clock in the morning, go to the bazaar. The bazaar is where you sell all the food. Hey, four o'clock in the morning. But I said, go now, go to the bazaar. So he went out and four o'clock in the morning, however busy a town is, is dead. There's nobody, especially during COVID time. And when he walked out, there was nobody in the street. Not only that, as he walked out of the house, he's leaving a wife and two children in the apartment. And he may not be able to come back if they shut during that time. There's this kind of, you know, hey, sorry, close. So he'll be extreme. There was so much uncertainty as he walked out the bazaar, but he was just willing to say that he knows that this is the instruction of the go out to the street and go to the bazaar. So he walked through the very dark street. He walked there, and when he reached the bazaar, he was amazed. He saw the light all around us. And when he went there, the shopkeeper was saying, how do you know? They asked him. How do you know? They asked him. You know what? Just this morning, at around that time, the government had issued a decree saying that all the bazaars should be open and be, 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 be stocked with food because they don't have it the day before. Stocked with food and to be sold at a very low price to feed the nation. It was that on-off kind of thing which the government is very good at doing in that situation. He was amazed. So he bought as much as he back and then went back and... Simple thing, but you find that in the book of Acts. You find that in the book of Acts, that kind of, not just a glossing over that the Holy Spirit led me, but the Holy Spirit was leading the church in specific direction and specific instruction. And I hope that in the coming studies of the whole act, we will actually get that. To me, the experience is personal too. I told you before, I was driving from Castleman to Maryborough and before I turned the corner, it's a usual corner, I've done it hundreds of times, there was a voice telling me, slow down, there's a kangaroo next to the road. I quickly changed my gear, slow down, turn, and there was a huge kangaroo right in the middle of the road. It can be as personal and can be as as, as, but it's personal. God speaks. God speaks. And you share the gospel. I always 
when opportunity to share gospel, sometimes I would think that it led me to say, you know, I've shared so much. What do you want to prove that God is real in your personal life? And there was many cases. He want his he wanted his he said, okay, show I mean he have listened to all the gospel, right? He wanted to, to, to see that part of the reality. And he wanted girls, the, the daughter's healing of the hand to be at that very short period of time because of some issues. And God work, God writing work. Are we prepared to share the gospel to let God take the risk of revealing himself? We are preaching. I just wonder, are we preaching salvation without work and only by grace? Are, you, are we doing evangelism? Evangelism by work without the Holy Spirit. Are we doing evangelism by work and thinking our work will be sufficient without the Holy Spirit? Shall we pray? My Father God, I shudder to think what the wasted years in my life could may, may have could be better if I were to turn and listen more and be prompted and to recognize how you are prompting me through the Holy Spirit. It may be my sin in my life which I have listened, being taught to through your spirit that I should turn to and I'm still struggling. I pray, dear Lord God, that you would not take your spirit's influence in my life or make my ear too deaf to listen to that. I pray, dear Lord God, that whatever things I do, dear Lord God, should be conscious of the spirit working in my life. And I pray for the church, dear Lord God. I do not know where we move from here. Holy Spirit, we pray you move among us. As Jesus has promised that you will come in and convict men of sin and righteousness and judgment. I pray that the community here will have that visitation by you. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.